worship this morning. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So remember your people. Remember your children. Your promise, oh God Your grace is enough Your grace is enough Your grace is enough for me Great is your love and justice, God of Jacob you use the weak to lead the strong. You lead us in the song of your salvation. And all your people sing along. So remember your people. Remember your children. Well, good morning, everybody. 
Hope you're doing well. It's good to see you here this cold morning. I'd like to welcome you here. If you're a visitor and are, uh, this is your first time, there should be a card right in front of you. I would love if you would take that, fill that out, drop that in the basket on your way out. We can have a record of you being here, a way to reach out to you this week. And uh, if there's anything we can do for you, pray for you. And so if you would, uh, as we just by way of announcements, uh, we have due to COVID in the area, uh, this past week for Wednesday night and for this morning and this evening have uh, postponed gathering together uh, out of uh, respect for us together collectively uh, being in close quarters uh, to try to maintain uh, that and protect everyone. And so pay attention later today, uh, email, we'll send out some information on continuing forward with this coming Wednesday night and uh, kind of decision made there for what we'll do moving forward. Um, and so just want to make you aware of that to keep a heads up. Also, we are moving into a, a new verse to memorize. And so we have been memorizing scripture together corporately. And we are looking at two verses in Psalm 95. And I want to encourage you as we began that last week, we'll recite it again this morning. I want to encourage you uh, to, to look at the whole thing. This, this whole psalm is, is a phenomenal psalm, Psalm 95. And so I want to read a few verses before it, before we recite these verses, and encourage you to just follow along. So I'll read them out loud. If you'll just follow along, we'll read it twice and, um, and think, about, think about the words. And so God's word says in verse 3, For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And so follow with me. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And the of his hand, the song, the 90s song is in my, sorry, let's do it one more time. So, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 95, 6, and 7. The Lord is our maker. He has created us. So, as the psalm says, let us come and worship him. Let us bow before him, willingly giving our lives to our creator, the Lord, the king, the ruler of all things. So as we continue, let's pray. Let's pray to this God, this, this great God. And then we're going to continue in worship in celebration uh, as, as two young people come for baptism. So let's pray and then we'll direct our attention up to the baptistry. Father, God, I thank you for this morning and this time together. God, I thank you for the gift of grace that because Jesus, you sent your son to save, you sent your son to give his life on our behalf. God. You made us and then you come and recreate us by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That he gave his perfect, pure, spotless life shed his pure and perfect blood to atone and pay for the sins of many. 
Father, thank you for that grace. God, I ask you, Lord, this morning that, God, you, Lord, would be exalted in our countenances. You would be exalted in before us and through your word that we would hear of you. And that, God, you would draw us to a stance spiritually in our minds of humility and bent knees before you. And that, God, physically, that would be the tone of our lives. That, God, we would come before you as the true great God that you are humbly submitted to you. You would direct our lives. You would direct our steps. You would, God, Lord, be glorified in us. And so, Father, I ask that, God, that would be true this morning. We would hear from you. You would bring that about, this psalm, as it talks about, Lord, we would be humble before you, but that, God, also we would rejoice. We rejoice in the work of grace that you save people and that, Lord, we get to see this morning these two come forward who are professing faith in your son and that you have come and applied the grace, the grace that Jesus bought in your life. So, Father, thank you, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So if you would direct your attention up to the baptistry. Well, amen. What a privilege it is to see uh, people follow the Lord Jesus Christ and believers' baptism. It is a command of the Lord that everyone who receives his word follow him in expression of their trust in Christ's death and his burial and his resurrection as their only hope of salvation. We have a brother and sister that are coming today to follow the Lord in that manner. It's, uh, they're the Hayses, and uh, the Hayes family has recently joined. Uh, they've lived in many different places uh, because of work, and uh, uh, I want to say that they both come to faith in Christ at different times, though they're being baptized at the same time. And so it's not one following the other. It is the fact, apparently, they've come to God's country, and now it's time to be baptized. I'm so, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> we, are, we are definitely glad uh, to have a brother and a sister come following the Lord in believer's baptism. So, Barrett, would you come and join me? This is Barrett Hayes, and uh, Barrett, you're 11 years old, right? 10 years old, okay? And it's been my joy to be in his home uh, and to talk with him about to his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he has trusted Christ as his Savior. He has confidence in his heart uh, that he is indeed God's child. So I want to ask you as a confession before people, have you truly trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone to be your personal Savior? Yes. Amen. And so it is in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, <laughs> that I baptize you, my little brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> And his sister Paisley is coming and doing the same. And uh, we, we talked at different times. And uh, uh, so uh, the message was different with each one and hearing them uh, share about their journey of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, Paisley, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone to be your Savior? Yes. Amen. 
And because you too have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior in obedience to his command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism unto death and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. And uh, what a privilege it is to have a mom and dad who know the Lord as their Savior and uh, are receiving them as they come out of the waters of baptism. And uh, you just continue to pray for them. I know some of you have had a part uh, in their spiritual growth as you teach them in Sunday school, uh, on Wednesday nights, and on Sunday nights. And so we praise God for that. We'll continue to worship the Lord through song. Turn it back over to you. What a joy it is to be able to watch, to be able to celebrate, and to worship the Lord through seeing two young, young children come to know Christ and come to profess that, that faith, to see that in Christ alone their hope is found. Let's stand as we continue to worship. No power of hell, no scheme of man 
from his hand till he returns. Lord calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Oh, 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 oh,
salvation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Lord, I strength, you are our hope. We cannot live without you. You hold us together. God, you are the only good that is in us. Father, help us to cling to that. To remember your grace. Not to take it for granted, but Lord, to be thankful for it. To rejoice in it to glorify you because of it. Lord, help us to live worthy of the calling you have placed on our hearts. God, that we may live a life that is pleasing to you. God, that we may live to glorify you in all that we do. God, I pray for Pastor Joel as he brings the message. God, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, that we will leave this building better equipped to be your church. God, that you will speak through him, that your spirit will speak through Pastor Joel, and that we will receive your words. Father, we love you, and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I know we didn't meet uh, last Wednesday because of the uh, uptick in COVID, uh, nor did we have Sunday school this morning, and uh, obviously it's affected uh, attendance at uh, uh, church service as well. Uh, I'm quite content for us just to do things as normal, but uh, we want to speak a word of witness to our community uh, to uh, take care of our children, teachers, those that are in the health care profession, to let them know we're, we're trying all we can do to mitigate uh, uh, infection. And yet, uh, we can't live in a world of fear. Uh, we have a God who is sovereign. He's in control. And uh, we're going to trust in Him. Amen. 
I mean, that's what we're going to do, all right? We're going to be, be wise and good witnesses, uh, try to be wise as serpents, but harmless as dove. Uh, it, it, hope to be back to normal next Sunday. We will not have our, uh, our Bible studies on Wednesday uh, here at the church. Uh, I think there's some they're going to meet off-site. Uh, but uh, just to let you know, we plan to be back. Uh, pray for your uh, elders as we meet on uh, Tuesday of this week. Uh, most of you know that uh, I had uh, given my intention uh, to retire by the end of June, and so we're going to be in the process of coming up with a pastor search uh, team uh, to uh, begin the process. So hopefully there'll be a transition rather than a cutoff. <laughs> we really don't want that to happen unless uh, that's what the Lord wills. Uh, I appreciate all of you for, uh, I've had a few of you uh, trying to talk me out of it, and uh, that's good. <laughs> I sure would rather hear that than the other. Oh, praise God, it's about time. Uh, so uh, it's, it's a struggle, and yet uh, when you've got a clear word from the Lord, you have to do what He says. And uh, it'll be best for everybody. And uh, and uh, we, as we mentioned last week from God's Word, or a couple of weeks ago rather, that all things are beautiful in its time, okay? They are. They're beautiful in its time. God makes them that way. And, uh, and so, if you have your uh, Bible with you, I'm going to refer to a number of scriptures, but it won't be on the screen this morning. I know you're accustomed to them all being up there, uh, but... Uh, I've got a lot, so uh, I'm just going to reference a few of these verses. Uh, would you turn to the book of Isaiah? I, I shared with you that Isaiah is, uh, I think, appropriately divided up into introduction, uh, chapters 1 through 5. And my intent is not to go verse by verse. Uh, we'll go chapter by chapter, but not verse by verse uh, through the book of Isaiah. And uh, then when we pick up in uh, chapter 6, we kind of see the Lord as king uh, until we get down through chapter 37 and then beginning in chapter 38. Uh, we get to see the Lord Jesus as the servant. And then those concluding 10 chapters are uh, the Lord as conqueror. And uh, so this morning, I'm kind of giving a summary. We did a brief introduction last week, uh, do a summary uh, this morning um, of chapters three through, or two, pardon me, two through five. Uh, chapter five is a song, and we're really not going to get into that song this morning. Uh, but I do want to read from chapter four. I think it's a pivotal chapter in the book of Isaiah. Uh, because we're introduced to Jesus Christ as our branch of righteousness. Uh, he is called the shoot of David, uh, and we'll reference a couple of those passages, but want to see him as our, our branch, and we're talking about life, bearing fruit. Uh, Christ is our Savior. He's not only our Creator, but He's our Savior. Uh, he is our Lord. And uh, the fruit of salvation comes through Christ, and uh, you and I are beneficiaries of that. And the continuation of our salvation is through Christ alone. 
And uh, it is never upon us to produce uh, spiritual fruit. Uh, we are to respond to Christ. We are to yield to Christ. We are to abide in Christ. But all along, uh, to be aware that it is Christ in us, in me, the hope of glory. So let me read uh, beginning in verse 2. Which, by the way, uh, the chapter divisions and verse divisions are not divinely inspired in our English Bibles. And I think uh, uh, chapter 3 goes through uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, and we'll pick up in verse 2. So it says in verse 2, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. And everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment. And by a spirit of burning, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day, notice this language, a cloud by day and smoke and shining of flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy, there will be a booth for a shade by day from the heat. And for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. Let's bow again together in prayer. And Lord, we, we come to these verses that are in the Old Testament. And, and they represent so many stories and events of the Old Testament. And yet, as we know, the, the old is the new concealed and the new is the old revealed. So that the language points us to the New Testament. And it reveals to us 700 years before Christ was born who Jesus would be and what he would do and how we would become his people and how we as his people are to live. And Lord, how we as his people are to share others the glorious news of who Christ is. And all that you would provide for us is found in these verses. And Lord, they're rich. It's like, it's like diving into a, an ocean and finding a, a beautiful coral reef or a treasure at the bottom. Lord, it's, it's like being in a mine and seeing the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us today by your Spirit to see the glory of who our Savior is and to respond to him properly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So chapters, uh, we looked at chapter 1 and part of chapter 1 and 2 and 3 have to do with how the people of God were living in the day of Isaiah. Judgment is about to come. Remember, he introduces us to four kings who led well. They led well and led the people into prosperity uh, things politically were, were going as they should, and yet spiritually there was a, 
a uh, famine. There was a depression that was coming into uh, Israel. And God's people were not living in the way that they should. So in chapter 1, we see that the, the moral fiber of the nation uh, was collapsing. Uh, they were looking at desperate days. Uh, they were con congratulating themselves for how good they were. They had religious habits. And uh, uh, they were following through on those religious habits and disciplines. And they were even making their sacrifices unto the Lord like they should at the temple. But they didn't know why they were doing it. They didn't understand to whom it was pointing. Even though in Abraham's day... Jesus said, Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw it. There was an understanding on the part of Abraham that when Isaac was to be sacrificed, and God provided a substitute for him, that it was a picture of Christ, who would become the substitute for us to be the sacrifice for our sins. And you know, we would be remiss to think that Abraham didn't pass that story on. Abraham had passed that story on to his family and to his next generation and from generation to generation. And the testimony of Scripture continues to point us to the fact that there was a coming Messiah, a Savior, who had become the sacrifice for our sins. But as they're continuing in their sacrifices to the Lord, in verse 11 of chapter 1, you know what God says? He says something that is almost strange and unusual. He says, stop your sacrifices. Now, who had commanded them to sacrifice unto him? Well, the Lord had. The Lord told them to do this. And yet, in their doing of it, it would be like the preacher getting up and saying, stop coming to church. Don't come to Sunday school anymore. We don't want you showing up for outreach. We don't want you doing missions. We don't even want your prayers anymore at our church. Now, would that not be strange to, words to come out of my mouth? It really would be. And yet, that's what God is saying to his people. And why? Because their heart, their hearts had departed from the Lord. They were doing all the right things, and yet they were doing it with the wrong heart, wrong motivation. Not only that, they did not have godly leaders who were leading them to correct their ways. That's a sad state of affairs when we don't have spiritual leadership uh, that are guiding people toward Christ and toward the Lord and Toward his word. Uh, we were at somebody's house the other night having dinner and we got to talking about uh, 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 some of the things that are taught in Bible studies. And I remember a time uh, where my wife and I were on a, uh, a break uh, from the pastorate and I was sitting in a Sunday school class in a Baptist church. Like us, we were Baptist church, sitting in the Sunday school class. And this is basically what the Sunday school class consisted of. Well, you know, I think, and you know, I believe, 
I'm not sure what the Bible has to say about this, but my experience has been such and such. And, you know, this is what I tell my kids, and this is what I tell my friends, and I've always thought this about God. God seems to be like this to me. And I was sitting in that Sunday school class, and I kept saying, but, but what does the Bible say? What does the Scripture have to say about uh, what we are talking about? And you see, that's the state of affairs that we can find ourselves in in our own current day, in our own current culture. You see, God's not impressed with what I think. He wants me to respond to what he says. And so there was a sad state of affairs. They were also uh, not letting God make them into his likeness by grace. They were guilty of making God into their likeness. They, they were saying, I, God is like this. I don't think God would do this. I believe God would do that when God has already revealed in his word. And even in Isaiah's day, they had the scripture. They had plenty of scripture uh, at hand. And not only did they have it in scrolls, but you know what they were taught to do? You know, we're struggling with memorizing one verse in a month. Do you know what those guys did? They brought their Bibles with them to church service every time they came. Because you know where it was? It was in their head. But unfortunately, it wasn't in their heart. They knew what the Scripture said. They, they, uh, they knew what it said. And, and yet, they were making God into their own likeness. I'm not, I, I'm not bridging that gap right now. I'm leaving the, that to the Holy Spirit Hopefully to bridge the gap to our hearts. To help us to see that there are times that we do the very same thing. They were people who could re recite the scriptures together. And I don't know about you, but I'm impressed about my Bible. My Bible has four ribbons in it. I don't know how many yours has got. But you know, we, we, sometimes I use them to mark special places for the sermon. But, but you know... Uh, uh, they were good at reading through the Bible and turning the pages and putting the, their ribbon where they had finished reading. And they would do that every day. And they would progress through the Scripture. And yet, they weren't listening to what God was saying. And they weren't heeding what God was saying. They were more concerned with the rituals of, of religion rather than the relationship with Jesus Christ that was necessary. So, uh, he was then and he is now leading us into relationship. And that's what he says in chapter 1. He leads them to uh, know that he is their creator, their savior, and their Lord so that we might know what Christ has done for us on the cross and provide a genuine salvation to everyone through generation, regeneration rather, by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. Now, it was back in 1993. Some of you weren't born in 1993. But in 1993, it was a, a church. It was a very progressive church about 15 miles, 17 miles actually, north of London 
where they had all the, the, the latest things that were necessary to be a contemporary church. That means, in their minds, a relevant church. Uh, they had the screens like we have screens for things to be put up. They had all the uh, band instruments that were needed. They had the latest songs that were uh, popular in their day. And yet, they were missing God. And some of you will know this story. You know there was a worship leader by the name of Matt Redman. And Matt Redman and his pastor and the worship team were, had gathered together and they were saying, you know, we're, we're doing all of this activity. We're going through all of these motions and yet we're, we're, not, we're not sensing God meeting with us. And during that time, they decided that they would not have a song service as a part of their worship for a whole year. I mean, for a whole year. I've been kind of thinking about this myself, not about not having songs for a whole year. I've been thinking about, you know what, until I leave, maybe we ought to flip the service the other way around and have the preaching first. Because the preaching teaches us the truth of what God says. We have to respond to it. We either say yes to what Christ has said or no to what the Word of God has said. When we say yes to what Christ has said and we're in right response to Him, then we are really and only then are we really prepared to do what? Worship. Yeah. I don't know. Y'all think about that. We got elder meeting on Tuesday. We may, wouldn't that just be something to do it I got a thumbs up over here. Well, he wrote a song during this time, and you're familiar with it, but in case you're not familiar with the words of the song, since it's old now, uh, written in 93, uh, of the last century, let me just read them to you. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I will bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You see, these people were guilty of going through all the religious activity, and yet it wasn't what God wanted. And God said it. I don't want it. So he says, you search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart so I'm coming back to the heart of worship and what is the heart of worship it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the things that I've made it and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus and so I would like for you to consider that in your own heart this morning Chapter 2 then, the Lord begins to tell us how things ought to be for His people. Now we're not going to read through it, it, it just takes us a long time. And so I'm going to give you an assignment, since we're not meeting tonight, you go read chapters 1 through 5 this afternoon or this evening. You can do that, can't you? Sure. Alright. Uh, what he was doing was telling them what they should be. And in that, he says, you, you ought to be an outreaching people with a sincere, genuine relationship with me and 
calling people to come and living in such a way that people say I really want what you've got and he uses a prophetic word a a word of the end times when he says in that day in that day people will be drawn to the Savior from all over the planet the, and the question then is when is that day well the answer is it is both the time from when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead until he comes back. And it is that day when God will set up a righteous rule on the earth in which there will be no one who does not believe in the Lord. He says in that day there will be a remnant. He's telling in Isaiah's day there's going to be a remnant that will come out from among the people of Israel. I've always got my genuine followers of Christ. I've always got my genuine church, a church within the church. And that would be true today. We take the church around the whole world and it is grand and glorious. There are places in which Christ is exalted and other places where um, they're very negligent. And yet there's a church within the church and he says in that day there that remnant will be the remnant of the righteous who will love him with all of their heart all of their soul and all of their might verse 20 of chapter 2 says there will be a remnant that will come out from among the self-righteous those who are righteous in their own eyes but they're not truly righteous before the Lord. But God always has his people. Like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot is living in a place when there are few who believe and yet God had his remnant there. Then when we come to chapter 3. In chapter 3, when, after God has said, this is how you're living in one. Chapter two, this is the way you should be living. Chapter three, he says that he is going to judge the sin of the unrighteous. He's going to judge. I mean, you know, God is love, isn't he? But God is also just and righteous. And in chapter three, he says, I'm going to bring judgment. When in verse 1, he says, uh, Behold, the Lord of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply of bread and all support of water. Do you know, do you know what he's saying? And he begins a whole list of things he says. You're going to try to prosper, but you know what? You will not succeed. I'm going to bring judgment on you. I'm not saying that you could go to a grocery store and find the shelves empty. I think I just said that. But, but God is saying, you know, if you do not walk with me as a people, as a nation, you will come under my judgment. And verse 13 of chapter 3, he says that the Lord is going to take his place to contend and stand to judge the peoples. I realize you and I are living in a time and we're, it seems as if 
um, if you know, if you name the name of Christ, you are somehow a target. Well, rejoice in that. Take glory in that. Uh, do like Peter say, I, 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 I welcome that I am suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I, I remember back in the, in the 1970s when if you wanted to be somebody in the community, you better come out and say you're a believer and you go to such and such church. And everybody said, oh yeah, we'll vote you in. We'll come to your business. We'll go to your bank. We'll do whatever. And we, we rejoiced in that moment. And that was not a moment to rejoice in. We say it was, but it really wasn't. Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we look at the church around the world, and guess what? The church around the world, most of the church is suffering right now. We, we live in a protected area. Uh, our protection is not quite what it used to be, but, you know, we're not suffering. <laughs> we need to pray for the suffering church. And uh, God says He is going to bring judgment. But He says He's going to bring judgment on the unrighteous. But in verse 10, He says, tell the righteous this. It will be well with them. It will be well with them. It doesn't matter what goes on around you. If you're one of his, it will be well with you. So I guess we have to ask this question then. How then do we become righteous? And so God answers that question in chapter 4. That was the introduction. I hope you are, it's really not long, okay? <laughs> when, when we come to chapter 4, I want you to see what God does. He leads them in chapter 4 to see God's provision. Look at, look at verse 2 again. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Now watch the branch of the Lord. Well, Isaiah 53, 2 says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. We're talking about the suffering servant. In chapter 53, uh, we see that he became sin for us. That he bore our sin upon himself. In verse 5 it said, of chapter 53, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brings us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. In Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? He's David's father. We're talking about the Davidic lineage, the kingship of Israel, and the kingship for every one of us who are God's people. Who is that? He's the branch from whom roots shall bear fruit. Verse 5 of that same chapter says about this branch, his righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. So where does this provision for us not to be these sorry people that we can be, like those in chapter 1, and be like the kind of people God tells us we ought to be 
It comes through God's provision of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will raise up from David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. Who are we talking about? Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In Jeremiah 33, 15, he says, I will cause a, bright, a righteous branch to spring up for David. And then again in Isaiah 53, 11, it says, He will make many to be accounted righteous because he bears their iniquity. So what is God's provision? God's provision is his, himself. So how do we become righteous? Well, Romans chapter 5 and 19 says, Through one man's disobedience, we became unrighteous. Through one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So we're saved by grace, aren't we? That's how we become righteous. We become righteous through a salvation that comes through this beautiful branch, which is Christ the Lord, and we are saved by His grace so that we've got, we're a new person. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. We come to discover that our name is written in the book of life. As a matter of fact, there was a pharmacist from uh, New Jersey. He wrote a hymn uh, back in the early 1900s uh, in the garden. He also wrote in 1905... Uh, I said a pharmacist. I want to make sure that sunk into you, okay? He wasn't a preacher. He was a, what? A pharmacist. He wrote this, the words to this song. It says, I was once a sinner, but I came. Pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given. And I found that he always kept his word. I was humbly kneeling at the cross, fearing naught but God's angry frown. When the heavens opened and I saw that my name was written down. In the book it is written, saved by grace. Oh, the joy that came to my soul. Now I am forgiven I am, and I know by the blood I am made whole. There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, yes, it is mine. So God's provision is Jesus Christ. So then what does God expect his children who are saved by grace to be? Well, he expects us to be righteous. How do we do that? You know what the answer is? The same. It's the same. It's by God's provision, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look again in verses 3 through 6 of Isaiah 4. He says about his people who come under the grace of the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are left in Zion, and he's talking about those who, who have responded and submitted unto the Lord, will be called what? Holy. Everyone whose name's been recorded for life. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. That's what he's talking about. And then again in verse 4, he says, The Lord will have washed away their filth. He will have cleansed their bloodstain. 
And then in verse 5, he says, The Lord will create over his people a cloud by day and a shining flame of fire by night. It's a picture of the children of God in the wilderness where God left them. By the way, it's really interesting when he says that he's going to create this for them. He uses a word that's found in Genesis chapter 1 when God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, this word bara in the Hebrew is only used in reference to God. You cannot create your righteousness. You cannot make a safe place for yourself. You can't look at what's going on in our world today and say, I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to do everything that needs to be done. We're going to be safe. And the answer is, you cannot do that. But there is a righteous one who is real. He's more real than any medicine can provide for us. He's more real than any money can buy for us. He's more real than any shelter that you may shelter in. He is the righteous tower that we run into and we find safety in Christ. And we come to know what the psalmist said in Psalm 37 when he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Oh, it may seem like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, as they used to say in the old days, okay? It may look like that, but not for God's people. God's people find in Christ that He has created for them a cloud by day. When the heat comes, where do you run? To Christ. How do I change my life when I fall in love with sin and And I I know I should not be in love with sin. I go to Christ. I run to Him and fall in love with Him. And learn through Christ to hate the sin that my flesh learns to love. There is no other way. There's no other way of walking in righteousness except to find the booth that shades us from the heat during the day and the refuge and the shelter in the storm. And so Isaac Watts wrote a wonderful hymn. I've quoted it several times in the last year, so I'm only going to give you two of the verses this morning. But it says, When I survey the wondrous cross, On which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gains in this earth I count but loss. And pour contempt on all my pride. Because my salvation is in His provision. Not in me. So what is our response? Isaac Watts goes on to say at the end, the last verse, and says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that's a present far too small. If I owned everything, it's a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life. Pardon me, my soul, my life, and My all. And I don't know how you and I are to respond to what God said to the people of God in Isaiah's day any more than what he's saying to us this day through the word of God. He demands your soul, your life, your all. 
But have you made God into your own image? Have you said, you know, I'm going to come and do my religious duties. I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to move my ribbon through my Bible. I'm going to say, I've got that checked off. It's done. I'm going to do all the right things that I should do and yet find that my heart is far from God. No, my heart needs to be surrendered to the Lord. And so there's a hymn that says, I surrender all. And I have kind of jokingly said in the past, you know, it's the biggest lie that we tell on Sunday. But unfortunately, sometimes it is, is it not? When we say those words, I surrender all. But that's what he's calling us to do today. He's calling us to say to the Lord, I surrender. Are you resting in his grace? Or are you trusting in your works? If I just do the right things. Oh no. Christ is our all and in all. There is nothing else. There's salvation in no other. For there is no other mediator between God and man save Jesus Christ. There's no way to please Him except living out of His grace that is in us. Lord, I can't, I can't do this. But oh Christ, will you fill me and enable me? That I can be obedient to you? You see, I'm convinced that the righteous obedience we need and the righteous repentance that we need and the righteous faith that we need are all gifts from God. They don't come because you try just a little bit harder. As a matter of fact, it's been my experience, it's like trying to grasp at the mist. The more you try to do better, the harder it is. And God's calling us to rest in Christ today. And so I want to ask you to do that. I want to ask you to join me in doing that. So that we would rest in Christ. So that the obedience would be an obedience like Jesus. Who through his suffering learned obedience to his father. And he was grace upon grace for you and for me. So, Father, we need to respond to you. Lord, it's not, the, it's not the songs that we sing. We can sing the right words and they can be beautifully written. They can say uh, truth in the correct way. Lord, I can even sometimes sing it on note. And yet, that is not what you long for. You long for a heart that is yielded to your Son. Thank you for sending your Son to be the righteous branch. That in Him, He produces all righteousness in us. That He is the vine and we're simply the branches when we abide in Him and He in us. It brings forth much fruit because without Him, apart from Him, there is nothing that we can do. And yet, Lord, You're not calling us to passivity. Lord, You, you call us to go to the ends of the earth, but oh, with a message. 
that is good news. That it's hopeful. It's Christ. That His grace is more. That everyone who comes to you by faith is your friend, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together.